HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This is Steven Satterfield, and welcome to Heritage Radio Network on tour. Uh, we're broadcasting live from Charleston Wine and Food, and we want to thank the Julia Child Foundation for making our coverage possible and to the Charleston Wine and Food Festival for having HRN down here for the fifth year in a row. My name is Steven Satterfield. I am the chef and owner of Miller Union, and I'm the guest host interviewer today. It's super exciting to be on this side of the microphone. Uh, my guest today is Andrew Knowlton. Um, Andrew, you are the uh, editor-at-large at Bon Appetit. That's right. Former national restaurant critic. Yep. You also are the host of the Netflix show Final Table. Yep. And you are a, a, you are a Southerner that lived in New York, and now you're in Austin. Now I'm in Austin, Texas. We're going to dive into that a little deeper, a little bit later. Uh, I have to say, Stephen, it's nice for once to be like ha- being interviewed by a chef. Usually, I'm the one who's pestering you to ask questions. Right, I know. The tables can... have been turned. <laughs> Go easy on me. Um, so, I just wanted to start with like your background. Um, how did you become a, a food writer and a food critic? Um, there, you know, it, I figured there's a good story here. Well, it's a little bit like any, I think, like any kind of job that people think is a dream job. It's it's uh, serendipity, I, I guess. I had moved to New York City after uh, college, um, and I was working at a restaurant called The Grocery in Carroll Gardens, Brooklyn, which was one of the, kind of the OG restaurants that, um, you know, put Brooklyn on the map for those kind of neo little bistros. Um and I dug it, you know, I like got into, you know, the front of the house and the back of the house in the restaurant world. Um, but I, I knew at that point that I wasn't going to be a chef. Like I just didn't have it in me. I couldn't, it was just too hard. Basically, Stephen, it was too hard out of it I got, I, at the right time. So I was, um, I was doing some classes for graduate school at NYU and I walked by a, uh, bulletin board, like an actual physical pegboard, not a online bulletin board. Um, and there was a sign for, uh, uh, I think it even said like for a guy Friday, which I'm sure half the listeners don't even know what a gal guy Friday is, but it was basically like a do anything kind of get coffee and whatever for this food magazine. And, but it didn't say what food magazine. So I was like, Oh, that, that sounds kind of weird. So, uh, anyway, it ended up being Bon Appetit and this was in, uh, 2000, um, and I started there for like two or three days a week, 
um, just like calling restaurants and, and asking them to fax their menus to us. Because, <laughs> you know, none of them had websites and none of them were, if they did, they didn't post them on online. Yeah. What year was this, if you can That was reveal. in 2000. So okay. my previous job, I, I had worked at a magazine called Lingua Franca, which was an academic magazine. And I was basically fired from that job because one day the owner came in and there was a stack on the copy machine, you know, probably like a ream of paper that I had printed out. And what I was doing during work hours was I was going through like New York City restaurants and printing out old reviews from the New York Times and printing out what restaurants did have their menus online. I was just doing research. Like I was, I was just new to New York City. You know, it was like I was saving all my money to go to like Le Cote Basque and Oriole and Picheline and all these old school places. Um, and I got fired from that job for branding. So I figured, well, let me go get a job that I can actually print, print out menus for a living. So you had, a, you had a innate curiosity about restaurants from, I, the, from an early age. Yeah, I mean, I think that I owe that, you know, to my parents. Um, yeah. You know, I grew up in your, in your town, Atlanta. Um, and my parents, at an early age, would take us to Buford Highway, which, you know, for people who've been to Atlanta, you know what that is. And for people who don't, it's kind of the international restaurant thoroughfare. Yeah. I mean, it's like the first place I ever had, you know, like Mexican food and Chinese food. And yeah, real Chinese Real food. Chinese. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I think that really opened my eyes uh, to the window of kind of food and the possibilities. And this was at a time where, you know, once I moved to New York, like food was certainly cool, but it ain't what it is today. We have so much more information now, don't so we? So much. Yeah. So... Can you describe the lifestyle as the roving national critic trying to find the hottest new restaurants in the country during your time? Yeah, I mean, out? I feel like since I've since I've left Bon Appetit at a full capacity, that's been about a year and a half now. Um, I've had like I realized the physical toll. I know people. I can only complain to so many people about this because you know you're getting to travel around the country and eat, which sounds great. But you have to remember you're doing it alone most of the time, and you have to try a lot of things. And you have to eat at you know to do your job correctly. You have to eat at six or seven places a day. It's a sport, and it and it takes its toll. Because I remember coming off the road because I would travel probably cumulatively like four months out of the year eating, and I would come off the road. I imagine like musicians feel this way too. It's just like you don't know where you are, who you are. You feel yeah. like shit yep. because eating, and I'm one that happens to feel like drink drinking like wine and nice wine is a part of the experience. For it me. has to be a part if of it. You're able to do that. Yeah, it's part of the experience. So it was just one of those things that like it was so a many real, calories. So many calories. <laughs> I would come and I went to my doctor once, and I was like, you know, I have two eating disorders. I have the one eating disorder and I'm not, I'm, I'm joking about this. I know right. it's a serious topic, but I would eat crazily for three months and then I would come home and basically fast for like a week just to remind my taste buds about like what food tastes like because yeah. the, you know, the more you eat, the more you drink, it just, you kind of lose sensibility. Of sure. It. But it was like, I mean, I did that job for 15 years, hardcore and like I got to see the United States. I mean, I love traveling. I got to meet so many interesting people. And, 
you know, you can ask me any city in America where to eat, and I can I can kind of yeah. steer you in the right I can direction. imagine. And you probably still keep up with that to an extent. Oh, I'm sure. I mean, it's like a, I'm a junkie. Like, yeah. Once a restaurant junkie, always a restaurant sure, junkie. Sure, I don't sure. have to, like, go toe-to-toe with people anymore about, like, what restaurant just opened and what just closed. But, like, I still get most – I'm a magazine junkie, too, so I get a lot of, like, I still get Atlanta magazine, and I still yeah. get – New York Magazine, and I, that's how I kind of keep up with stuff. I like the print cool. aspect of it. Yeah. Um, so you recently moved to Austin, Texas. Can, I did. How has your life changed since you um, left New York and moved to Austin? Immensely. I mean, I have two daughters uh, who are 11 and 9. Um, Cigna is the youngest, and Julep, uh, who I might have named after a cocktail, um, a southern cocktail. Yes. Um, it... It's it's like night and day, you know, like New York City is, as you know, is an amazing place, but it also skews your view of the world and it it almost makes you numb to so many things that you don't realize that you miss in your life. It adds a lot to it, but I think at the time that my wife and I, Christina, were at, it was just time to move. So yeah. one of the things you don't have a lot of access to is open space. That was the big thing. Unless it's public. We have a dog now, and, like, yeah. I have three grills in my backyard. Oh, yeah. And my wife will pick me up at the airport, like, when I go back and, like, drive. You know, it's just, like, some of those things I grew up with in Atlanta. I and mean, I'm sure I'll move back to New York one day. I think New York's the best place to retire because you can walk everywhere, and it's got good health care, and you can go see any movie you want, yeah. you know, and eat in any restaurants. But I think, like, knowing New York was so, like, competitive and combative and and energizing, and I wouldn't give it away for anything. It's all the things. It's just nice to kind of breathe and, like, you know, yeah. I love flying into New York, but I love leaving New York, too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, looks pretty, it looks pretty when you're flying away. Yes, it does. Um, so you grew up in the South. Um, do you feel like a Southerner, and what are some of the cities you've lived in, and what brought you to them? Yeah, I don't... You know, there's a Tom Waits, uh, the singer, is a lyric like he had to move to the West Coast until he understood the, the East. He, in, in, not until he moved to the West did he understand the East. Uh-huh. And I feel like for me, I went to school in college in Maine, so I got the hell out of the South. I wanted to leave the South. Yeah. Um, and I didn't really fully appreciate the South until I left. And I, and I would probably admit to you that like, I did not have a Southern upbringing where somebody was making some traditional food. Like, it was modern Atlanta in the 70s and 80s where yeah. things were booming. And, like, it wasn't, you know, and I've probably latched on to more of those Southern trademarks is, since I left, you know, like, eating pimento cheese every day or, you know, boiled yeah. peanuts and all that. Like, it's not something I grew up with. Like, my mom was a good cook, but it's not like we woke up to biscuits every morning right? and had fried chicken at funerals and She was stuff. a city lady. She was a city lady. She <laughs> was from West Virginia. <laughs> so I think, you know, I don't live in the South anymore, and I never, I don't know if I could move back to Atlanta just because I have this idea of what Atlanta, you know, was to me. Um, so, yeah, I went to Maine, and I lived, uh, basically what brought me to Maine is, is I was trying to get as far away from the South, and... I went to a very religious school, uh-huh. as some people do in the South, and um, I didn't, wasn't driving with me anymore, you know, like that kind of lifestyle. So I, I guess I 
knew the liberal Northeast, you know? So I went up there, and then right after college, I went to New York City and lived yeah. there for 20, 23 years. So Atlanta, Maine, New York, yeah. and now Austin. Yeah, so not, not, a lot of, not a lot of cities, but, you know, yeah. having, having traveled around the, the country and, and the planet, like, I, that kind of scratched that itch. Like, I'm a homebody, and I like to have a place that's the kind of center of, yeah. yeah. What's one of your favorite southern cities? Um... I mean, I really liked Nashville a couple years ago, and uh-huh. it was starting to kind of blossom, and I thought people were doing interesting things. Um, I hate the New Orleans Saints because I'm from Atlanta. <laughs> so I like New Orleans, but I kind of don't like New Orleans. Right. There's a rivalry. Um, God, and the vices in that town are incredible. Um, um I don't know. There's so many, like, little small... I mean, my favorite thing about the South, like, I just did a road trip where I went from Maine to... Uh, Austin, and we we drove through New Orleans, like through Atlanta, through Charleston, and up through like Richmond. We stopped and got like the Methodist uh, boiled peanuts in North nice. Carolina, that place. But I really love the, I miss the gas stations in the South, the rural South, like those yeah. old. And you can walk in, they have like thirty types of pork rinds and then yeah. beef jerky, and they yeah. have all kinds of things. Like Pickle they don't have the, feet. Yeah, they don't have those <laughs> kind of things up north. They got all this weird shit. Yeah. I love convenience stores. Well, it's funny that you we talked about Maine a couple of times because I'm aware you have an affinity for Maine. I and I, I wanted you to describe, like, what, did it, what is it about Maine that draws you in? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, there's, like I said, I went to college there. so And I didn't like it at first because it was, compared to Atlanta, it's like the winters are rough there. Yeah. You know, and even in March. And it can be kind of remote. Yeah, yeah, March, April, May, like, there's sand everywhere. Like, it's bad. I think the summertime there is, like... I would say that having been to Norway, which I kind of compare to Maine a little bit, is like I don't think there's a more beautiful place climate-wise. And because I think the the people there and the the food itself knows that it only has like three or four months to grow in Maine. Like yeah. I think it knows that, so it wants to be the best it can be. Uh-huh. And I would I would say that like tomatoes and some of these seasonal vegetables in Maine are like. I mean, they're the best in the on the planet that I've really? had. Yeah, like in August and September, corn mm-hmm. and a lot of those southern foods that we think about, tomatoes yeah. and, and green beans, they're just, like, beautiful. And I, I'm a, you know, having grown up in landlocked Atlanta, so I have an affinity now, I realize, for water. Yeah. And I think being on the coast of Maine is, like, the best of both worlds. And then the summer, it's got that cool breeze at all times. It, it gets down to 50 at night. It never yeah. gets above 80. I think the people up there, too, are, like, you know, hardworking New Englanders who, like... Resilient. They build their, <laughs> they build their houses. And they're, they're, you know, and I think that was what I... I also like taking my kids there because I think it's a good alternative to what New York City was and Texas and shows kind of that... Um, more rural lifestyle that, you know, you get them to put their phone down for a minute and kind of brings them back and makes them realize that, like, oh, you know, people tend gardens and raise bees and stuff. So that's, that's um, you know, I've been the... I've been a huge proponent of Maine through, and I feel like it's gotten a lot... It's the... 
don't know if I could ever live there because the winters are hard. And and uh, it's an amazing place to go in the summer. And there's a lot of people yeah. moving there now. I think you know as this bigger cities get harder, maybe for some people to live in and mm -hmm. more expensive. That you know you're seeing people, and it's becoming a more diverse state too, which is a very important. You know, it was it's a pretty white place, but now you're starting to get. You know, there's a Somali population that's moved in to Lewiston, Maine, and outside of Portland that brings their own distinct culture. And so I think there's a lot of positive changes happening up there as well. That's interesting. Um, I know you have always been an avid cyclist. I am, yeah. Yeah, I'm assuming you still are. I am, yeah. yeah. Well, now more than ever, just because I don't have to battle New York City taxis. I was going to say, I mean, I've, I love to cycle. I have cycled in New York. I actually think it's really exhilarating. I love it. Yeah. There are, well, number one, there's so many beautiful like areas along the water that yep. you can ride. Um, and it, and it actually makes New York feel a lot smaller. It does. Because you can kind of sometimes pass the traffic. It slows things down uh, uh, to a large extent too. Yeah. And you notice things uh, on a bike, especially in a city that you don't, if you're obviously if you're underground on a subway uh, or right. even if you're zooming by in a taxi cab. Yeah. Um, so I, what I say about myself as a cyclist, I call myself a fair weather cyclist. <laughs> I really only like to cycle, like weather like today here in Charleston, it's like 65 degrees and sunny. That's the perfect cycling weather to me. Um, but I mean, I would imagine you probably battle the elements in New York City, like the rain or the snow or whatever. I mean, yeah. I, were there times where you're just like, Screw this, I am not getting on my bike today. So I was a casual rider. Uh, when when Bonapetit's offices used to be in Four Times Square, that was a long way from Brooklyn. That was about a uh, it was about a 20-mile round trip. It was like 10 miles. Uh, and I was fair weather then. Like, if it was below 32 or if it was just dumping rain, I wouldn't. But when we moved down to One World Trade, uh, One World Trade Center yeah. in downtown... My commute was about 16 minutes if I pedaled fast, and that was over the you know the picturesque Brooklyn Bridge. Yeah. So I made a promise, and that was probably you know when I moved out of New York. But I rode every single day that I went to work for four years without missing a beat. That's amazing. I had and a great way to combat all those extra calories. Well, that life. was the biggest thing for <laughs> me. There was a few times that it would snow. And you would have to walk your bike across the Brooklyn Bridge because it was skid. Yeah. The most dangerous thing about cycling in 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 uh, New York, and especially across the Brooklyn Bridge, for me was always in the afternoon with all the the tourists, because they yeah you know if they you've ever walked across lane. they get in the bike lane which yeah. I get it but you know and you're yelling at them and so that was kind of a crazy time. I like when you go to. Um Amsterdam, and they just all they do is quietly ring their bell, and if you don't move, they're right. just gonna hit you. I always see, I always <laughs> get really aggro in the like in Copenhagen and Amsterdam because like you know how I don't run red lights, but like if there's nobody coming, I'm going. But there they they wait until the light turns green, no matter yeah. what, under yeah. any circumstances. They're following the rules. They're following the rules. They don't. They call that a Portland stop, uh, Portland, Oregon, where you kind of just roll through, which is legal uh -huh. in most states. You okay. kind of roll through. Yeah. But not in Copenhagen or Amsterdam. But hopefully these cities will get this way, you know, uh, you know, in New York. And I know Austin has amazing bike lanes. I don't know what Atlanta's like, if that's even a realm of possibility. Atlanta's coming around with yeah. the bike lanes. Yeah. And, you know, we have the Beltline now. Which yeah, which is, is amazing. Um, old railroad tracks yep. that they converted to green, green walking space, jogging space, cycling space. Yeah. It's just so popular that yeah. it's not really fun to ride on in the weekends because there's too many people. It's like you're dodging bullets the whole time. It, but But... On a weekday, it's fantastic. Or yeah. at night, it's really great. So one of the things that I'm working on now is um, I'm working on a pilot for a show where 
you explore a city's food and its culture on, on the back of a bicycle. Fun. So I ride, like if I came to Atlanta, I would call you up and we'd ride around we'd and get, you'd get show me bikes. some of your places. Yeah. Just because I feel like bicycle sharing is becoming a big place. And the more, I mean, the only reason I got into cycling was so I could eat more. I mean, you burn some calories, you yeah, know that. Yeah. You yeah. see cyclists, and but they eat a lot. But it's also fun to ride around and a different pace. Oh, I love it. Are we going to be on a tandem bike? No. No <laughs> tandem bikes. Have you ever ridden a tandem bike? I actually have. It's a little scary. It's painful. It's, yeah. like, hard to, like, get your bearings. And if yeah. you're not on the same pace, like, yeah. Yeah, you got to have to, you have to have, like, I mean, we, we can see if we can get a custom-made tandem that maybe has, like, flames coming off yeah the back that sounds good <laughs> yeah or like a bike that has like a little uh sidecar yes that i would do a banana uh, seat so you just traveled you just landed in charleston i did yeah and is your suitcase here with you yeah it is so i was gonna ask what kind of packer are you and can we open up your suitcase for show and tell? oh yeah i have to grab it right there <laughs> real quick just like some fun things that might be in there I'm sure you have like a packing system. So this is your whole suitcase for the weekend. This is little. This duffel. is it. Yeah. And I've had this bag. This is the bag that I always took on the road with me. So you're you're wearing what you're wearing every day, right? That's what you're uh, gonna. No, I have a pair of uh, white pants. Oh, uh, you know what? I have uh, ACL Austin City Limits. Nice. This is something that I just got. Do you know this company? You know. It's you know who did this was the three. What's it called? The Bros Bros Dot. Oh, okay. Do you know oh, this, guys? Cool. So it's I, a, I need to get one of these. So it's, it's an a Atlanta sweatshirt. I'm going to describe it for the listeners. Yeah. It's a sweatshirt that's uh, white with green writing, and it has Atlanta and cursive at the top. And then there's all this, there's like a long paragraph with things like, so oh, it's lyrics. Yes. These are song lyrics, right? Yeah, from different songs. So it's got one about like lost in underground and found at Walter's. So it's a bunch of like hip hop like stuff, but it all has to do with Atlanta. Yeah, Atlanta is the hip hop capital of the world. Is that what you, you know that, say? right? That's I what do. they say. I mean, I grew up listening to Outkast, so. <laughs> um, so I know you're a family man, and it, it, we're going to wrap up here in just a few minutes, but I wanted to hear a little bit about the venture that you and your wife have taken on in Austin, and also maybe some funny stories about the kids. So, yeah, we moved down there, and uh, my, my wife and I uh, started working with a hotel group down there called the Mighty Union, uh, which has the Carpenter Hotel uh, and is building a, a place in San Antonio uh, called Veramendi, and then a project in Hawaii and, um, and one in Oregon. Uh, and I just I didn't want to be a chef. Uh, as I told you before, but there's always this hankering to be part of the um, creative process on that end of it. So I think I've... I've and I think you've got an opinion about food, so... I've got an opinion. That, there's that. But, I mean, <laughs> going to a lot of restaurants doesn't necessarily make obviously make me an expert at, at anything, but I know what I like, I think, and sure. that's the hardest thing. So we've gotten involved. M my wife has since uh, gone to work for another restaurant group in Austin, but... I'm, you know, opening a bar in Austin, Texas, and I kind of, you can tell me if I'm dumb or not, but I kind of, I don't want to open a restaurant restaurant. I'll sell alcohol to people, but uh, I love the industry. You know, I love hospitality and I like taking care of people and I, you know, I want to build the most amazing, um, amazing bar restaurant that I can, learning from people like yourself or restaurants that I've been to through the years and um, I think that's I've kind of come full circle in a lot of ways uh, cool. you know uh, also restaurant criticism is like 
it's not dying, it's not dead, but it doesn't hold the same kind of satisfaction that it once did for, for me personally. Sure, sure. Uh, I want to be part of the creative process even more now. So you're going to be behind the bar slinging drinks? Uh, I think so, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's a very simple bar. It's, uh-huh. n- it's none of this mixology stuff, but right. it's like highballs, and we'll have like cool natural wines and like really good music. Um, record player? Record player. We'll have tape to tape, like the big tape to tape things. Stacks? We'll stacks. Cassette player. Uh-huh. Well, kids are starting to get into cassettes now, too. I mean, I know they're into vinyl, but like cassettes, too. Oh, yeah. yeah. Cassettes are coming back around. Mix I've tapes. got a bunch somewhere in a box I can just like... Maybe sell them on so, eBay. Or do you have any old mixtapes? That's oh, what yeah. I really... Yeah, see, I'd so love to listen to those. Yeah. Um, From the 90s? A lot. My kids... My The funny thing about my kids is that they don't... They've, they've never been to... In New York, you didn't have to take them to fast food, right? The, and now that we live in Texas, the constant battle is they want to go to Popeye's and they want to go to McDonald's and they go to Wendy's. So, and I've sworn those places off for 20 years, but now that I've gone back, we're starting to like every month go to a fast food place. And I think they realize that they're not amazing. They just love the idea of it more. Sure. So that's kind of also like... It's a novelty. Yeah. And I'm, you know, I'm a food snob in a lot of ways, but I do like uh, Popeye's fried chicken. I will say I've that. heard a lot about that sandwich. Everyone seems I to be talking Popeye's about it. I think Popeye's fried chicken is the best fried chicken in probably like 40 of the 50 states. Do you love that chicken from Popeye's? I do love that chicken from Popeye's. <laughs> hey, thanks for joining us today, Andrew. We're going to have to wrap. And I wanted to also just thank the listeners for listening to Heritage Radio Network on tour. I'm Steven Satterfield here with Andrew Knowlton. Thanks again to the Julia Child Foundation for making our coverage possible. And stay tuned for more from Charleston Wine and Food. This program is powered by Simplecast.